Hello and welcome to another episode of the Listen In Podcast with Jake and Sean. It is episode 179. We are back from our summer hiatus. Uh, we're kind of we're kind of like Europeans here, Jake. We take the entire month of August off. We're like, ah, we're going we're going to the uh, the French Riviera. We're we're coming back in the fall, and now we're finally back. It's been a little bit. Uh, I think we needed a break, though. I think we needed one. Yes, we are. We're very much like Europeans. We we take vacation. We treat people with human dignity. We all have health care, no matter what. <laughs> Maybe I went. That's a little too far. We don't we don't quite have that yet. But uh, no, oh no, 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 Jake. Because um, the free market hasn't dictated it yet. Um, no, but well, no, maybe someday. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, I think we needed a break. Things have been tough in in 2020, as anyone with uh, a brain listening to this knows. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of just the state of things, I think music has taken a little bit of a backseat for us this year. Um, which is understandable. But I think the plan for today is we're going to do a summer music recap where Jake and I are going to go through some of our favorite albums that we were able to connect with over this summer um, and maybe do kind of a look ahead to what the rest of the year is going to be like. But um, Jake, I want to start uh, before we have a, a news item to hit on. I, I want to just unpack some of that um, how music listening has changed for us this year. And, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One of them that I've identified for myself is absolutely just the state of the world and, and what we're all dealing with as people, as a society, as a country, um, the pandemic, but also on top of that, you have other issues that are, you know, you have the, the Black Lives Matter movement, you have social justice issues, you have, um, the wildfires in California, you have climate change bearing down, you have a fractured political um, environment. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot to be dealing with. And we joke a little bit in the after show and we get into this about how, you know, you can just be doom scrolling Twitter and that can put you in a really bad headspace. But um, I think it takes a lot of energy to be alive right now. And if you are someone who is out there and you're like, why am I not able to enjoy the things that I'm usually able to enjoy. I mean, that's understandable. And I think for me personally, I don't know about you, I have not been able to enjoy music in the, or engage with it in the way I would have in years past. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the emotional and mental energy being taken up by this year. I just have not had the energy to, A, not only listen to new stuff, but to have like real thoughts about it or, or to unpack it critically or to think critically about it in a way I would before. Um, what about you though? What's, what's your relationship with music been like lately? Yeah. It's interesting what you said about, about trying to have a thought about it or think about it critically. Um, because I think in many ways, pandemic 2020 craziness aside, the trajectory of this podcast from late 2015 till now, which is crazy to think it's been almost five years that we've been doing it has been us moving from first year, first two years. We're going to take it really seriously. We're going to listen to every yep. fucking album. We're going to do track by track breakdowns. It's going to be like real serious. Um, and then the kind of steady decline into like, Hey, okay, we can do that. But first of all, who needs that? Who really needs that right. from us? Second of all, 
do we enjoy that? Do we get anything out of doing that? In some cases, maybe. Like maybe some of our favorite albums, it's fun to do that. But in other cases, no, it's not. Like, what, okay, the new, like, I don't know, like the new Blood Orange album or the new, I don't know, like uh, right, like the last year's Joyce Manor album or something where it was like, ah, it's kind of met. It's like, are we going to force ourselves to have strong opinions and really heavy thought, you know, thoughts about music. So I think that's been a trajectory. I think that has been kind of the natural easing of our own kind of like collective guilt about having to have a real thought about everything. But also, yeah, this, the fact that this year has been so crazy has played a role in it and it has made me fall even more into what is actually like my true music listening pattern which is and it, maybe it's been exaggerated in 2020 but it's like i it's like a few new things here and there and i'm gonna listen to mm-hmm. there's plenty of albums i'll listen to once and there's a bunch that i'll maybe come back to but for the most part i'm like i'm really obsessed with never hung over again this week so i'm gonna listen 15 yeah. times and i like that album came out six years ago right what whatever yeah. and and you know, it's not relevant. We're not going to really talk about it on the podcast, but it's what I want to listen to. Or like, I'm going to do a deep dive of the band. Like I talked about in March or like the the kinks, like I did last month. And it's like, that just becomes kind of what I want. And then the stuff that's coming out becomes not secondary, but like just, it's it's almost like just a different activity. Yes. To me. I totally know what you mean. Yeah. And for me, it's, I haven't been able to get any of those kind of classic deep dives going. I just, again, I haven't had the energy. Um, you can't force it though. That's the that, thing. Like I'm not forcing no, it. Can't. So it's happening. And no. it's like, and I think in years past, I would have been a little harder on myself and maybe forced it where now I'm just like, you know what, for these few months, you're just not feeling it. And you know what? You probably will again soon. So just let it take its course. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's interesting, and you know, this this year and this pandemic and all this shit we're dealing with is going to change us in a lot of ways. And I think this is just one that I've noticed in myself lately. Um, but with all of that being said, there's still a lot of stuff that I've enjoyed this summer and this year, and I think it's been a pretty strong year for music. And we'll we'll get into some of that in a little bit and talk about some of our favorite albums we've been able to to discover over the summer. Before we do that, Jake, um, I want to hit on a on a Kanye West news item here. Um, here we go. So time is a, a flat circle because when I looked at the agenda tonight um, in the Google Doc, I, I noticed that the last time we did a podcast back in July, our, our main news item was Kanye is really struggling right now. Fast forward two months and he is still really struggling. So um, not only is Kanye doing an ill-advised presidential bid where he's being helped by like Republican op- operatives to get onto swing state ballots. <sighs> um, he, he seemed to just be having another sort of breakdown on, on Twitter today where um, he was tweeting about how unfair record contracts are. And he tweeted out many pictures of his record contracts with names and dates and signatures. And he, he was asking every lawyer in the world to take a look at them and how, um, most of them are, are very unfair, which I think is probably true and, and is probably coming from a, a good place. Um, but as part of this whole whole Twitter tirade, um, he posted a video of himself literally pissing on one of his Grammy trophies. Um, 
in addition to tweeting out, I think the phone number of the editor at Forbes magazine, who he had done an interview with uh, not too long ago about this presidential bid. Um, so yeah, it's just more of the same upsetting news for Kanye. And I, I really don't even have that much to add other than what we've been saying before, where it's sad. I hope he is okay. And I hope um, if he needs help, he's getting it. It, it's very dark. It's very upsetting. I tried scrolling through the contract stuff and it's like, it was literally, it looked like it was almost hundreds of tweets. Yes. It was insane. Yes. But here's what I want to ask you. Many, many listeners of the podcast might know that Sean and I are, are ourselves listeners to the Bill Simmons podcast. So Sean, I'm going to ask you, <laughs> a, uh, I'm going to ask you a Simonsian <laughs> yeah. question. Okay. Okay. If you play out Kanye West's career post 2013 a hundred different times okay yeah. how many times is it this bad how many times is it way better like how, is this the mean is this actually like as bad as it could have gone do you know what I'm um, saying this is a great question so I think you can't answer this question without talking about the Kardashian influence and maybe that's um, that's not fair. Maybe that's too that's like too that simplify it's oversimplifying a complex mental health issue. I think if we play out Kanye's career a hundred times post Jesus post twenty thirteen, this is trending towards probably one of the worst outcomes you could have. I think the I same really thing. do. Short of him dying, yeah, this is one of the worst outcomes you could have. But it's like I mean, this is going to sound cynical and i guess it is but but like come on we all know that this is the way people view things if kanye died he'd be instantly glorified and made a hero like if, if he died the day after yeah. he just came out and this is dark this is fucked up to say but like we all know it's true it would be like yeah. record sales would go through legend. the roof he'd be he'd be, he'd be solidified legend forever um Definitely. And, and he's instead he's had the chance for seven years to go on this kind of like steady sad slide down the kind of the mental toilet yeah i, I and i mean mental health aside political aspirations aside if you just look and we're a music podcast so if you just look at him from a music perspective and if you look at him as like a, a figure in the music world respect for Kanye is at an all-time low right now right like just in terms of like what this dude's about and like who he is as like a musical artist I would say all-time low so much so that it's almost like a lot of the goodwill he'd earned up up through Yeezus and Life of Pablo has faded and has started to be Wonder. diminished yeah agreed and I actually think if this continues on as classic as like every album he has put out is i think you might start to see a little bit of revisionist history around this stuff i feel like that already started with some of these um end of the decade lists the way people talked about twisted fantasy i think that has already started to turn just a tiny bit in terms of like are we sure this is a classic or is this just like a cry for help like that we didn't notice um yeah of like a you know an egomaniac narcissist gone wrong so i don't know man like, and it can I, be I, both i think it can be both and i think it probably is and i think but lately I think some go ahead already starting to see that turn i was gonna say i think lately they've been cry for help cries for help 
that have been less artistically interesting. Um, uh, I would agree. Which is not to say that he hasn't associated himself with some pretty excellent projects like Kids See Ghosts or like the Pusha T album, Daytona. Daytona, absolutely, man. Like that, that's the thing. And actually, I think if you separate all the shit that Kanye's been doing personally, politically, whatever, and if you just look at it from a music perspective, there is an argument to be made where it's like, hey, he's actually, he's never put out a bad album. Yeah, you could make that argument, and it's actually it's like, hey, he's still a force, you know. Like, yeah. I think some of this Trump shit, the political shit, like all the crazy shit he goes on about, I think a lot of that has tainted, especially these last two albums. If there's an argument to be made, if you separate all of that, if you just look at the musical resume, he's still Kanye. What What, what do you think? We We have not talked about. It's actually like if you were to bet when we started this podcast that Kanye West would have two albums that we've barely talked about and neither of us ever listened to almost no that I would not have bet that. So do you, so which of those albums do you think is better? Yay or Jesus is King. Uh, I I don't think either is all that great, but I wonder which one you like better. I like yay better. I think I do too. But, if I went back and I listened to both of them, like freed of the emotions and expectations associated with a new Kanye release, because that's actually the only time I've really listened to either. I could see a world where Jesus is King. Forget all the, like (laughs) the religious messaging behind it. Um, I think there's a world where I think that one actually might be more consistent throughout. Like yeah. that one's really, I was shocked at how like competent and not bad that album was. I, I felt um, the same way. Yeah. But I think I'd rather listen to yay. Cause there's songs on yay that I'm actually like, yeah, this is actually pretty good. Yeah. It's like uh, part of me thinks like, okay, pick one to listen to right now. I actually go Jesus is King, but it's like pick one yeah. to that you think is maybe a little better. It might be yay, but neither, I don't think either. Yeah. I mean, they're both his, there's his, they're his worst work. Easy. Right. What? Gut feel, oh, without a doubt, without a doubt, and it's not close. Gut feel, what would you give each of those out of the 10? Like uh, six and a half? Gut, yeah, gut feel, I'm going yay is a six, and Jesus is King is like a five, seven, five, six. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, at, but, at, the, at the highest, they'd be like a six and a half on their best day. At worst, they're like a five and a half probably accurately they're both around a six out of ten like if you're in the wrong mood and you put on one of those albums you're like dude these are this is bad it's bad yeah yeah if you're in the right mood you're like hey this is i i see it this is listenable 2020 vision jake hey i see it right fucking kill me um okay kanye west is blonde and gone um let's get into our summer music recap bonanza jake um (laughs) (laughs) so this feels insane that we didn't get a chance to talk about taylor swift on the podcast yet feels like that's that's over and done with um new taylor swift album produced by the nationals aaron desner uh with collaborations from his brother bryce or i is it flipped i can't even remember but they both i think i think you had it right i think i did too um so taylor swift puts out a new album. This a lot of people are saying this is her indie album, Jake. Um, it's got the it's got a Bonnie Vare uh, appearance. It's got um, the National on board. 
um, it, the whole vibe is sort of like Sleep Well Beast meets uh, later era national piano ballads. Um, what do we what do we think about? What do we make of this? So I mean, we, we I think we talked about it outside the podcast a bit, and I made this point, but um, it it felt like. So first, okay, this is what I want to say first. I like this album. Yeah. I like, I like this album. I like Taylor Swift. I like, a, I like a lot of the songs on the album. Put that aside. It's definitely good. Um, I think it was crowned as her best album the instant it was announced. Yeah. <laughs> because it was the indie album. Yeah, not, not the moment it was released, the moment it was announced. And people yeah. saw, you know, lowercase letter font and a black and white album cover. Yeah. people were like, this is her best album. I mean, people were tweeting the day it came out, like, this is a masterpiece. Now, you know, I think it is very good. She's an, I think she's an excellent songwriter. I do think yeah. it is a little bit indie music of the 2010s by the numbers. It's a little bit like, Agreed. I'm going to put together all of the names that could possibly give my album indie cred. Mm-hmm. And look... We, this is something I always battle with with Taylor Swift because it's, it's really tough. That on some level feels unfair to say because like, look, that's not easy to do to uh, compile and uh, you know, assemble rather the Dessner brothers and Justin Vernon and Jack Antonoff and get all these people together on a record. I think it actually is easy for her. If she wants them, she's going to just go get them. That's well, the thing. I think it is kind of easy. She's like, but, yeah, I want this. But what I'm—that's okay. So it, it is easy for Taylor Swift. But what I mean to say is that that is not an easy thing to do in the scheme of the world. Not just anybody can do that. Fair. So it is incredibly yeah. impressive on some level that she's able to. Um, yeah. I think there's plenty of good songs. I like Betty. I like you know Cardigan. All the songs people like. It feels Cardigan. kind of boring sure. even to have points about it. Um, I, I don't even want to talk about like the album's fine. All the songs are fine. I actually don't think it's her best album. I think 1989 is. Uh, a lot of okay, people say Red, fine. Um, it's not even interesting to me to have that debate, really. And I don't even really want to talk about the songs that much. I, I think the most interesting... And I, I haven't listened to this since it came out. I really don't have an interest in going back. This always happens to me with Taylor Swift albums. Um, the most interesting thing, I think, is was this a calculated play to make an indie quote indie album um, and sort of reinvent herself after her last album, which I don't want to, it obviously didn't flop, but I think people were like, Ugh, Taylor Swift, like this, well, she feels like a product more than anything. Was this an effort to, to be a little more human? Yes. But what's, but you know, what's tough is that like, and I, I guarantee if you played back the last time when she released Lover or when she released Reputation or when she put out, you know, whatever yeah. previous album was before. Was that, was it 1989 before that? What am I missing? Uh, it was, yeah. Before Reputation, yeah. Any album that came out since we've had the podcast, we've, we've done this thing. This is a very Rosillo take. We do the thing where <laughs> we kind of paint. You know, we're, we're, we're doing the Taylor Swift thing right now. And uh, have we even talked about Christina Aguilera? You know, the thing is, if we're going to be doing the Taylor Swift thing, is that we got to talk about... No, but here's the thing. Like, I, every album, it's like... I, we, and I think to a larger extent, a lot of music fans, do not trust Taylor Swift's intentions. For some reason... Exactly. And I, it's, it's probably mostly unfair, because she's someone who became incredibly famous, incredibly young, 
But with each album, I bet if you listen back to our podcast about Lover, we're like, this is just her self-conscious attempt to do pop music, like true pop. Right. You know what I mean? Like big right. banner so, pop song. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And it's sort of like, I can't help but have a cynical view of Taylor Swift because she is music as product. Um, but also, I don't... I, she's a good songwriter. She is a cultural icon. I I don't want to be like unfair and only look at it through a cynical lens, well, but I sort of can't help but not do that. Well, you know what it, it makes you realize a little bit is like the national Bonnie Vare, they just be they're, they're mainstream man. Like and that, that doesn't mean they're bad. That doesn't, I still love right. those, those artists, but it does force you as a person who's like, I'm a discerning music listener, blah, blah, blah. Uh, uh, yeah. It puts you in a position where you have to be like, ah, actually, you know what? Like, they're huge acts. They're very that famous. That might be the biggest takeaway from any of this is they're not, they are household names at this point. And, you know, 10 years ago, if you told me that, I would have been like, whoa, like, no way, man. Like, those worlds, no, these guys are they're indie, they're true blue indie. It's like, no, no, like they've always sort of been this big grandiose sound um, and they are mainstream. They're, they're massive in their own right. So they're huge. Yeah, and they're, they are they're, Again, that's the thing is like with Taylor, you know, it's not like she went and, and got fucking like told slant and, and Frankie Cosmos on this thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right, right. Right. Like she's, she wasn't like mining the, <laughs> <laughs> the vestiges it's of the DIY scene. Yeah, there's yeah, no DIY yeah. or anything. You know what I mean? Like, so it's <laughs> Jeff like, Rosenstock's not showing up on no. here. Yeah. So it's it's indie in the absolute most palatable way you can put it on the shelves at Target, and that's not that yep. is both a very biting and mean thing to say, but it's also fucking true. And I also yep. like the album, and I also sort of don't care about it. There you go. Well, well said. Very well said. Um, let's move on. Um, the other big release, Jake, that, you know, I, and I think this is probably one that I was most excited for this summer, um, came out a couple of weeks ago, this new Angel Olsen album, uh, Whole New Mess. So this is one that we knew had been coming for a while. When she put out All Mirrors last year, she said, I have a version of this album that is a stripped back, more acoustic, um, doesn't have sort of the orchestral sweeping strings as part of it. It's a more stripped back Angel Olsen album that is reminiscent of some of her earlier work. Um, this album is a, like I said, a reworking of a lot of those songs. There's only two new ones on here. Um, I think it's really interesting to listen to this one compared to the fuller sound of All Mirrors. I've had some conversations offline with you about it and with Big Friend of the Pod, Kara, about it, just about sort of like the, the differences between the two. Um, my big takeaway is I actually enjoy this version of Angel Olsen more and I have connected with this album more than I did All Mirrors. I do at the same time think All Mirrors is maybe more impressive and is probably objectively the better album because of all of the production, the strings just the way those songs are composed, but I've been able to connect with these songs more on whole new mess because of the stripped back nature 
And I think if I had to decide a, a speed of Angel Olsen that I like, it's this particular sound. So I, I'm on kind of of two minds of it, but I've actually been able to get more out of the songs um, than I did when they were presented with the All Mirrors versions. I don't know about you. Well, there's definitely something to be said about the stripped down production. It is way more intimate and it's, it's a more, not relaxing, but it's definitely a lower key kind of listen and, and probably easier to just throw on. I think so. It's it just, I think this is a fascinating case study in how two different people can view the same artist. Because for me, Angel Olsen was someone where on every album, I would kind of give it a listen or two and I'd be like, yeah, like it's good. Even My Woman, which is like a classic by anyone's standard. Everyone yeah. loves that album. I was like, yeah, like I like it. I, it's definitely good. It's just nothing I'm ever totally seeking to come back to all the time. All Mirrors was a real breakthrough for me where I was like, I'm really feeling all the production she's doing on this. I love how big these songs sound and I feel like she's writing really excellent songs, which is, which is borne out both on All Mirrors and on this album. I think she's writing good songs. They're, they're really excellent, maybe some of the best of her career. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think we came from different perspectives. You were pretty much already in. You, I think you were on yeah. the Olsen train since Burn Your... Is, 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 what was that album, Burn Your Fire for Burn, No Witness? Burn Your Fire for No Witness back in uh, 2014 was when I first listened. Then I did a... When, when My Woman came out, I, that's when I was really sold. I was like, I fucking love this album. Then I went back. I did the Strange Cacti deep dive. I got really into Angel Olsen. So by the time All Mirrors was coming out, I was like, this is one of my favorite artists. Yeah. And so for me, it was like, uh, not as passionate or as invested a relationship. And as a result, I think the fact that all mirrors was a departure was less of a, it didn't rock the boat for me. I was just like, Oh, this is actually really cool. And like, maybe this is what I kind of want out of her. That being said, yeah. I like whole new mess. I think it's really good. Um, I haven't returned to it a ton, but yeah, I mean, I think it's great. I think if I had to pick, I do like all mirrors better, but it, you know, there's, yeah. there's, there's two different perspectives on it, which are interesting. Definitely, definitely. Um, another artist, Jake, that I was really anticipating the new album for uh, was Fontaine's DC. So the um, the Dublin, Ireland uh, kind of punk rock band, they put out one of my favorite albums last year. Um, and I was excited when I heard that they were already hard at work on a new one and that it would be out in the summer of 2020. Um, so this one came out and, you know, we, we just talked about how music this year has been a little different and i think what ended up happening this came out in early august um a hero's death is the name of the album i was very much like this kind of snuck up on me i was like oh shit i like even forgot this was coming out by the time this day rolled around that the album came out i was like oh shit like yeah i gotta listen to new fontaine's dc um and i don't know i just i had a little bit of a difficult time really connecting and it wasn't for lack of trying i actually made myself listen to this more than I maybe wanted to just because I was like, I, I really like this band. I respect them. I like this album. I did not connect with it in the way I wanted to. Could have been state of the world mindset at the time. I don't know. I liked it. Not one of my favorites of the year though. In fact, I have not really wanted to return um, I feel a little bad about it. Maybe once the end of the year rolls around and I do my end of the year re-listens, I'll feel differently. But I don't want to say I'm disappointed um, because I actually think the album's solid, but it just didn't hook me in the way that uh, their first record did. Yeah, I mean, so I'm a little more of a Fontaine's DC 
newbie. I mean, like I've, I listened to Dog Roll a couple times. Definitely liked it. And I liked it better than this new album too, which I, I've, I've yeah. only listened to once because it kind of, my immediate take on it. And again, like one listen is probably not enough. I'm sure they're doing interesting things, but it, it definitely felt like th- that kind of like almost preoccupations, proto-martyr kind of like post-punkishness that is an extremely hit or miss form of rock music for me where sometimes if it's if it's like if it's the droning guitars and low guitar riffs interpol guitar riffs with a with like a low vocaled male singer sometimes in fact it's it's an immediate turnoff for me where i'm just like i kind of like can't hang with this vibe at all because it's it's been done to death and i i really can't think of the last band to introduce a new thing to that like a new sort of element to it so uh, i didn't dislike it but i was definitely just like ah, it's, it's sort of not for me i'm not gonna come back to it anytime soon and i think if i'm going to go back to something it'll be dog roll from dog roll year. and i would highly highly recommend spending more time with dog roll and i think that's the way in with them um especially if you didn't immediately hook on with this album you bring up a good point this a hero's death is a little bit more post-punk dog roll is a little more there's elements of, of the post-punk too, but it's more sort of like in-your-face punk. So more yeah, I think, I think that's the way in. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I'll go back, but yeah, I was a little bit uh, disappointed. Um, not in the quality, because I think the quality's there, but again, it's just not always my, it's not what I wanted at the time. Something I have wanted though, Jake, um, and this has been a very, very pleasant surprise and a pleasant discovery that I've made um, is this new Young Jesus album, Welcome to Conceptual Beach. Um, this is only a seven-track, 46-minute album. Um, I don't even know too much about this band, Young Jesus. I, I've been sort of vaguely aware of them over the last few years. I remember I listened to their self-titled album that came out uh, back in 2017. It, it got a little bit of buzz from like the Ian Cohen corner of the of the indie world. Um, I think I listened to it once. I was like, yeah, this is fine. I, I can see the seeds of something, but I think they've really realized sort of their vision with um, Welcome to Conceptual Beach. Um, now, this one is interesting, and I think it's actually one of the more interesting rock albums I've heard this year because it's blending elements of like improv and jazz into like sort of regular rock song structures. Um, so you get some like longer songs on here that trend towards like the seven, eight, nine, ten minute mark um, that you wouldn't maybe on on the typical indie rock album. And I think this I, I, I've sort of thought of as like almost a combination of what near my God Foxing and like, I don't know, even some elements of like Justin Vernon and Bonnie Vare are mm-hmm. um, kind of melded together. And it's speaking to a lot of things about just sort of like, I don't know, being more emotionally open and aware um, that has been personally resonant with me this year, I think. So I've actually gone back to this album quite a bit. I would say without a doubt, it's my most listened to album of the summer. It will probably end up ranking pretty high for me by the end of the year when we do our, our end of the year lists. Have you been able to spend much time with this album? And if so, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I, I've listened to it a handful of times, and uh, I I definitely really like it. I and I, I think there's some really interesting stuff going on. It is one of those things though where it's really strange. It's 
to hear you describe it, and I think you did a really good job of describing the sound of the album and like the approach and what the whole idea of it is. Um, and, and to hear the praise from music critics like Ian Cohen on, it's one of those albums where on paper, it was almost too good to be true. And when I got down to just listening to it, I was like, I, it, as good as it, it, it is. And I, I think it, it is a, a really interesting album. I find myself like not super compelled to go back to it. And I can't yep. really place why. And what I've, I think what I've learned over, we talked about the trajectory of listening and like how we yeah. listen to music. And I think what I've learned is that if, if I am not feeling the groove, like feeling in the groove of an album and I'm not feeling like I want to listen to it, to force it is not going to make me like it more. In fact, if I force it, right. it's going to make me push it away. And I noticed right. that happening on my, my most recent listen to it. I was like, people are loving this. Sean loves this. Ian Cohen loves yep. it. Stephen Hyden loves it. Like, you, you, you're going to love this album. And right. I found myself listening to it. And I don't know if it was my mood or if it was just something hit me wrong. But I was like, I don't love it. I was like, some of these, I was like in a negative place with it. Or I was like, I, I don't know, I'm not mm. feeling it. And that's when I knew I was like, you have to put this on the shelf for a while. Yeah. Just wait, just wait because yeah. it's not clicking and it's not going to click by, by making yourself put your head down and listen over and over. So that's 100%, 100%. And for me, I think, um, you know, I talked at the top of the show about struggling to really connect with a lot of albums this year. This has been one of the few where I have had an emotional response from it. And I think some of the themes that they're talking about, even, even in an abstract way, I've been able to apply some of the things that I've been thinking about in my own personal life, things that you and I have talked about off the pod, Jake, um, with this album in a way, even in uh, abstract ways. Um, so yeah, I think the emotional connection has been really important with this one. I can totally see why though, if you're not feeling that connection, you'd be like, eh, I'm going to put this on the shelf. Like, like yeah, I, I get it. People like it. There's some cool stuff that they're doing, but not for me right now i can 100 percent see that and that's that's totally cool and it's one of those things where it's like yeah i love it on paper i absolutely love the idea right. of it and i even like a lot of what i'm hearing but somehow or other it's not totally clicking and you know what's funny is like I, and i wonder if other people who listen to music and have like i'm a music fan as part of their fucking personality right if they can relate to this but like when people in the past like say four or five six years ago if all my friends were really, really grooving on a certain album or really into it, and I had that feeling of like, yeah, I just don't get it, that turned into like resentment for me. That would turn into like borderline anger, which is like unhealthy. And I would be like, nah, fuck that artist. Like they're actually not that good. Like you guys like right. are, are suckers type of mentality. And right. it's interesting like- Beach house. <laughs> no, but the thing is like, and this is, this is where nuance gets lost. Is that yeah. again, with the, what I always would say about Beach House is I was like, I like them. I think they're right, right. really right. good. I don't love them and I don't, I don't yep. sit at the altar of Beach House, but they're good. Right. And it's funny how those things turn into like simmering resentments. <laughs> and then the people who like that band are like, fuck you for not liking them. Like, exactly. You, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which, yeah. which, and here's what I'll say is um, not how I feel about Young Jesus at all. The reason I bring it up is that I think we've gotten to a point, hopefully, where we have the emotional maturity to say there's no reason to allow it to become anything like that. 
it's just an album other people exactly. like. And that exactly. I also like, but I'm not like fucking frothing at the mouth about it. I, it's like, I like it. There is something that comes with age when it comes to fandom of things where you recognize it for what it is. But at the same time, I think that robs you of the ability to be like fervently all in on something. Because even now, things I love, I can't get as into them as I could when I was younger and I was a little bit more willing to just go all in on something, you know, like now I'm just like, ah, yeah, it's another band or it's another album or it's another artist that I really like. Whereas before I'm like, this is everything. This is my world. Like, you know, like that doesn't happen anymore. And it would get really passionate. This is a side note, but I was remembering the other day that I think it was you and me and maybe our our friends Erica and Mitch, I want to say, were in this conversation. Yeah. We had a heated debate in which I think I was outnumbered three to one about Vampire, Vampire Weekend and Beach House and which is a better band or which is more interesting. And I was the lone Vampire Weekend I know. representative. And I was that was an all-time low of Vampire Weekend stock, though. That was like we were in the woods with them where it's like, when are we getting a new album? It's when things started to turn to be like, are they even that good? Was this well, good well, one, you know. But Sean, but Sean, I never let go of my stock. That's the thing. It's the Bill Simmons. You, you, you held. I sold low. You held. But that's the thing. Is like that. That you. I remember that you felt like I was so passionately fucking like into that argument, and I think you guys I were think too. We were all drunk too. We probably were drunk. We help. probably were drunk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's a great point. It's a great point. Um. Jake, how about this Kathleen Edwards album? You you have gotten into this one, though. This is interesting, yeah, because Kathleen Edwards was um, a musician with whom I had almost no background. I knew that you listened to her and that um, she had um, a really, what's the album, Voyager from 2013, 2012? That's right, yeah. Um, yeah, produced by Justin Vernon, and they ended up having a, a relationship off, that's off right. of that. So this album, Total Freedom is it documents in some ways a lot of the feelings associated with she got herself out of the music world she went and opened a cafe which looks like it's pretty successful i found the website online yeah. it's got a nice clean website design like a like i think you'd be impressed from the digital marketing i'm, I'm, I'm sure i would it's like i mean you know what it is already without seeing it you know i i 100 i don't even need to look at it no you can like our story and like blah 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 yeah. like it has a little testimonial part whatever blah, blah, blah like all that this album is written from the perspective of someone who relinquished a dream, gave up on it, even though she was getting there because she realized it was unhealthy for her. Um, And I'll say this about this album is that I I don't think it's like, it's not going to blow the doors off anybody out there. It's like, you've heard rock albums like this before. You've Mm -hmm. heard these kind of songs, but I think that I think Kathleen Edwards has a really nice voice for this brand of kind of like folk rock slash like, uh, you know, kind of rootsier music. She has an interesting, yep. almost like indie kind of element to the way she sings. Um, and I think the songs are hard on her sleeve in a way that actually is interesting because it feels earned. It feels like, hey, like shit, you took yeah. eight, seven, eight years off from music and like you went and had experiences. Like you bought a dog or you got a, you adopted a dog. And like, there's all these songs about her and her dog and like her drinking all yep. the time. And like, yeah. Um, there are these really like it's lyrically like there's a song called hard hard on everyone or hard on me yeah i think the second hard, hard on, on everyone. everyone i think i think that's probably my favorite yeah i mean i think that so that the, the first song glenfern when she 
does that whole bit about um, we had a rock and roll dream. It was total crap. Um, and it almost killed me. Yeah, yeah. We met, we met some of our heroes and it almost killed me. And I'm, I'm I, lo- I love those lines yeah. and I'll always be grateful for it. And I'm like, you know what? Yep. Like, that I love, is I love like, that song too. I think in a year like 2020, if we're going to talk about like how it's affected us mentally and emotionally, this is an album for me where it's, I think in some ways it's like, I kind of need to believe this is true where it's like, yeah. you know, like life's hard and you, you, you fight through it. This is like almost like a very nostalgic album. It's like, yeah, it, yeah. We, it's like we did all that stuff that we said we were going to do and it sucked, but I'm glad we did it. It was hard. And yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. And you know, really interesting because I first listened to Kathleen Edwards back in 2012. That's when Voyager came out. And at that time I was dealing with things that 20 year olds deal with. And the album she put out that year spoke to me in a really specific way. And it was interesting that she did not put anything out until 2020, eight years later. Um, Personally, you and I have both had a lot of experiences over those eight years as well. And we're on the other side of certain things. And I think this album is from the perspective of I'm on the other side of a lot of things. And it was almost a reminder of like, no matter what age you are or where you at or where you're at, you can get to the other side of things and you're going to have experiences and some are going to be great. Some are going to be hard. Some are going to be, I got a new dog and it was, you know, I, now I'm always saying who rescued who. I, I love that line. Too. Me too. There's a lot of good little lines on this album. Dude, and it's also, um, it's like, they're really catchy songs. What I like is that there's albums like this where it's like, look, she's not breaking any of the rules of music, man. She's not fucking right. Charlie Mingus over here. Like, like, like. But that's why it works. Yeah. She's writing just nice, catchy, good folk rock kind of songs with beautiful production. She's got a great voice. The band sounds good. And it's like, it works. It's really good. And I feel like between the two of us, you usually end up with more albums like that. Like not necessarily like that sound like this, but there are more albums that end up being on your list where you're like, yeah, I ended up listening to it more than I even should have because obviously it's not like a 10 out of 10. It's no masterpiece, but I just couldn't stop listening. That doesn't happen to yes. me as much, but it did with this album. And I'm so glad it did, especially because Kathleen Edwards is like the definition of that artist for me, especially back in 2012 with Voyager. I was like, yeah, I mean, it's nothing like that will blow you away, but I listened to it a fuck ton. I'm glad that has happened with you. That album for me this year has been that Tours album, actually, Silver Tongue. I've been oh, going really? back to that one a lot. No kidding. Yeah. Huh. The first half, the first five songs four or five songs on that album are like unimpeachable then it sort of like meanders a little bit but like i go back to the first half of that album a fuck ton um so that's so I, the one for me this is a very classic jake podcast thing i legit so i'm looking at the album cover i'm looking at the track list yeah. i legitimately cannot remember if i listened to this album once twice or zero times i don't know <laughs> i hey i Check it out if you get a chance. It's quick, yeah. honestly. It's 34 minutes, nine songs. Like there's some there's some good like jams on here. Good some good songs. Um, but yeah, I, I've been enjoying that Kathleen Edwards too. And actually talking about it right now makes me want to go back to it. And I think I might listen after this uh, after this uh, pod when I pop outside. But um, let's hit very 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 quickly because I actually don't have too much to say about this one. The Killers imploding the Mirage. This is their first album 
since um, 2017's pitiful, wonderful, wonderful, more like shitty, shitty. I think I made that joke three years ago too. Um, but they, like they put out shitty. they put out imploding the mirage this year, and I have to say, good for them, good for Brandon Flowers, good for the Killers. Look. This is nothing special. They're literally copying the war on drugs with a lot of the sounds on here. They're making like a slightly more polished and sheen, sheenier uh, war on drugs album through the lens of the killers. Um, There's some good songs on here though, like caution, fire and bone, the collaboration with wise blood, like there's some good stuff on here. This is a nice little return to form for the killers. And if I'm being honest, I think this is probably their third best album or fourth best album, obviously behind Sam's town and hot Fuzz. I think it's right in the same wheelhouse as like a day and age though. So shout out the killers. I don't have that much to say outside of this, but I'm glad that they haven't just continued the trend of putting out worse and worse albums with each release. And they're back to some level of competence. Yeah, I, I have less than nothing to say about this album. I listened one time, <laughs> and I, I just am like, look, with The Killers, it's like, I know it will happen. There will be a song or two that I hear for the rest of my life from this album, probably. And yep. I, 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 I think I missed, officially missed the boat on being an album guy for The Killers at all. I am Fair. too, it's never going to happen because I don't listen to Hot Fuss. I don't listen to Sam's Town. I never have. I've always loved... Yeah the hits by the killers yeah. like i lo- there's they have like probably more than five songs i love flat out but especially at this point in their career i listened to this once and i was just like i was so ready for it to be done it, 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 absolutely like, all that that's being said like it's a incredibly boringly competent album to me in my opinion if, uh, totally fair i agree if i hadn't been listening to the killers since i was in like seventh grade and listening to their album since back then there's no way I would take the time to listen to any of their last few. Um, but I, I, I will say like, as someone who's stuck with them this long, I'm, I'm glad to see that they had a late career kind of gem like this. Um, but yeah, they're the ultimate hits band, man. Like e- even albums like Samstown and Hot Fuss, which I, I love. I, Samstown's my favorite, as we've mentioned on this podcast many times. Um, they're a hits band. And I, I wouldn't, yeah, you don't really don't need to spend too much time, but I just wanted to shout that out as a side note. Um, couple more, Jake, before we 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 wrap up. Um, this, uh, what is it? This uh, Kelly Lee Owens album, um, Inner Song. Kelly Lee Owens was an artist we stumbled across in 2017 with her self-titled uh, debut. Um, and this was kind of like, an electronic, indie electronic album, sort of in the same, not in the same vein, but almost the, the legacy of like Purity Ring and churches, but like better. Like, I think actually like better, like higher quality songs, better production, better like beats, better everything in my uh, opinion. Less, uh, more mature, less on the nose and less pop forward. More, Yes, less pop forward, a little more like I'm trending towards like dance almost. Dance and also like in, in like in some places a little atmospheric even like like yeah. think, think Eno slightly but like add more of a persistent beat to that and like yeah. 
So she was kind of treading in a couple different areas, I think. Yes. Yes. And uh, she put out this new one this year, um, which again, kind of snuck up on me. I was like, oh shit, new Kelly Lee Owens. Same here. the album off with a really interesting Radiohead cover of Weird Fish's Arpeggi. Um, And it's just an instrumental version on here, like kind of her own take on it. Um, I think it kicks off the album in a really interesting way and has a few massive highlights for me, like On and Jeanette and then Night, which was one of the singles. Um, I've gone back to this album quite a bit. Actually, it's a great work album. Um, it's a, it's even a weirdly a good, like work out album with some of the songs. Cause there's like a propulsive beat to it. Um, I've been really enjoying this actually. I totally agree. I don't have much to add to that, except that I agree with everything you said. I've, and I have been coming back to it a lot. Here's one thing I, I, I wondered about though. So, okay. On the album credits for this album, obviously on, on Arpeggi, she credits all the members of Radiohead. Cause I think Radiohead does the thing where every member is a writer of every yeah. song, which I think is pretty cool and very like Radiohead of them to do. But yeah. um, what's interesting to me is that her collaborator on this album is a guy named, I think James Greenwood. And I'm trying to figure out though. I have not been able to find anything to confirm it, whether she is like associated with someone who's related to one of the members of Radiohead, or if maybe one of them has a kid who might be more in the age bracket. Cause they're at like 50. It's, it's Jim Greenwood. Yeah. It's conceivable that interesting. That's because it's like that. That's not like an huh. especially common last name. That I mean, I would not rule it out. That's an interesting uh, little curio there. Yeah. So maybe we, we we could confirm when we do a podcast in eight weeks, we'll let you know what the <laughs> whether when was, we regroup for our best albums of twenty twenty. <laughs> right. Exactly. When we check in with you on December twenty first. Yeah. Seriously, though. Um, and the last one, Jake, here I want to I want to hit on is this new Lomelda album. Is that I'm assuming that's how you? I keep want to say want to say Lom. I want to say Lomita, but that's not what it is. No, I think it's Lomelda. It is, but I want to say Lomita. There's actually a song um, on it, Sean, called "It's Lomelda." I know, I know. <laughs> uh, but this new album, Hannah, this this got a best new music on uh, Pitchfork. Um, I didn't really know anything about this until I checked it out, but it has been a nice, pleasant surprise. It has a nice early fall vibe to it, Jake. And it's reminding me, it's like a combination of Frankie Cosmos and Alex G in some places too, with sort of like the, um, like the off rhythm sort of weird time signature, like jammier songs on here. Yeah. There's some of the slowed down, like just singer songwriter, like, Frankie Cosmos ish song. She literally has a song. I think it's um which one is it? It might be it's Lomelda where she's like just sing the chorus is like Frankie Cosmos, Frank Ocean. And oh, it sort of like repeats that. Um yeah, so I, I've been I've been enjoying this one. What about you? I didn't notice that lyric, but it, it that's pretty on the nose because she's. I mean, she sounds exceptionally like Frankie Cosmos, like almost to a, mm-hmm. a freakish degree. Um, but I think this album it does carve out its own little thing. Like it definitely feels derivative of those influences. And I noticed the Alex G thing for the first time today too. You called that right away. But there's some chords, yep. some chord voicing yep. choices she uses that are very, very Alex G. Um, I, I think songs like Kisses and Hannah Sun, 
Um, and there was one other that I added to my best of the year playlist that I'm forgetting now, but it, I think it's really excellent all the way through. And like the, um, some cool sort of um, melodies, I think. And like, I just like the way she phrases her melodies over mm, um, the instruments and stuff. I, yeah. I've been impressed with this album in a way where when I first listened, I was like, Oh, okay. She's doing kind of a Frankie Cosmos doing thing. This thing. Yep. Like, okay. Like I, I know what this is. It's, it's better than what you think it will be based off of like the initial listen. You're like, ah, you're really wearing your influences on your sleeve here, but it sort of carves out its own thing, which is interesting. Um, it's it's and not. It does, like, I would say it's like a little. It's like ten percent less cute than Frankie Cosmos sometimes. Yeah, yes, yeah. a, a little less twee, you know. Yeah, um, it is a little less. Which twee. actually is in its favor for sure, and I think that's where you start to see some of the Alex G influence. Like it has a bite to it at yeah, some point. It does. That, a normal Frankie Cosmos album wouldn't have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've been enjoying it. And, you know, weirdly, uh, lately, because it's September and because it's starting to be fall, I've identified that Frank Ocean is this time of year for me. Like, that's, that's mm-hmm. like what I want to listen to is Frank Ocean. But also Alex G. And I've been going back to um, House of Sugar a, a little bit and, and some Alex G tracks. Um, this is a big time of year for like that vibe. Yeah. This Lomelda album scratches that itch. So if you're looking for like a fall vibe, check this out. Yeah. This, so here's an interesting thing is that this album, uh, as I was getting into it, had me very much in the mood for female singer songwriter vibe kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Which is, it's a shame that we categorize stuff like that. But at the same time, it's also like, it reminds me of the way it sounds. So I, I go into yeah. these other albums. Maybe it's pointless in, unimportant for me to have even defended that but the um (laughs) i as a result i ended up listening to a bunch of boy genius again remembered how good that album is um a little bit of uh of some lucy dacus or dacus of historium which i kind of revisited but it it also had me revisit snail mail um her her first album so okay that's an album that since it came out has grown on me a good amount through you and through big friend of the pod spencer actually playing it a good amount like it's one that kind of did a slow burn on me but here's the thing do you remember what that album got on pitchfork the score it got it was high right you got an 8.7 which is honestly i think it's pretty deserved i I, that album's excellent I think that is an exceptionally high score for what she's doing on that album. I mean, like, look, I like it. I, I think it's, it's good, but it's like, there's sort the of a songs fun. are there though, dude, the songs are, look, she's not reinventing the wheel, but I think the songs are just really there. They, they are. I mean, I think she just found a sound that works perfectly well, but there's absolutely, and look, like I'm not, this is not a criticism, but there's a formula at play there. Like, it's like, I, you know what a snail mail song sounds like. It, and yeah. so I was just shocked by 8.7, but it's like, damn, I like, I don't know that I'd put it that high, but it's like political too. You know, yeah. they're, they're trying to plant their flag, which, you know, good they're, for them. Yeah, um, true. But yeah, that's, I, that is interesting. 8.7. That is high. Cause normally with those types of albums, it's like eight, three, eight, four. Um, yeah. 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 A lot of those artists like boy genius, which is an album that I think is way more interesting if shorter, it's definitely shorter, but I think it's yeah. like, it, it does a whole lot more stuff and is like way cooler. Um, that only got an eight three, and like to me, that seems like a more defining of that kind of album for this era. But whatever, that's yeah, just, yeah. yeah. Um, I had a quick um, hit, Sean, really quick. Yeah, before, yeah, uh, yeah. Let's do the, that. You mentioned Wise Blood, which 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 jogged my memory. 
that um, Tim Heidecker of Tim and Eric, as, as people know, I'm, I'm a big fan of his work in all different realms. He has, he's putting out a new album called Fear of Death. I think it comes out this month. Yeah. Wise Blood collaborated with him on the entire album. Um, yeah. And the songs are pretty good. I, I, I'm very excited for this. I have not listened to the singles yet, sort of on purpose. I think I'm sort of saving it for the album. I think this has a chance to be pretty good in the vibe I'm getting or what I understand it is like really channeling that 70s, almost like soft rock vibe. Yeah, it's, it's very, it's very 70s kind of acoustic rock vibe, like sort of, but also like a little bit of the birds, like some people have been comparing it to Grateful uh. Dead. And it, to me, it feels like Tim has finally like really understood. He's like, yeah, I can do this music thing. And like, I, I don't have to, it. None of it has to be tongue in cheek. Like, the songs are right. good, dude. Like the first two singles, Fear of Death and Nothing, are like good song. He's a pretty good songwriter. And Wise Blood, obviously, has an amazing yeah. voice and harmonizes with him beautifully, especially on Nothing. Yeah. They sound so good. And on like the, so anyways, I've I've been even for someone who's like, I'm forgiving of his stuff. I like his albums. Like they're, you know, I never they're never among my favorite of the year, but because I like him and I like that kind of music, I always like them. Um, I have this kind of, I kind of feel like I might really like this album. Um, so just, yeah, your I, eye on. I think it has a chance for sure. For sure. I, I have been sort of keeping an eye from afar on, on that. Um, I'll check out those singles actually. They'll, they'll sound awesome. I think I'd really like those. Um, Jake, you have a, a recommendation of the week for us. Yeah. I, I, and I'll try to keep it somewhat quick. Um, so it's like a, uh, this is a recommendation of the week and kind of a halfway deep dive. So I think I mentioned earlier on the podcast that over the past couple months, I have been kind of going a few levels deeper on my interest in the kinks, the British invasion band from the sixties. Um, the, the thing with the kinks is that I just, this is what I've come to realize. They are the best band that no one knows about because they never really figured out the PR for the kinks. No one ever really mm. figured out what, what's the, what's the elevator pitch for the kinks. And the reason is it's really, really hard to define because they come out of the gate in the early sixties with you really got me and yeah. uh, all day and all of the night, which are like, you know, true classics of early rock. Yeah. They kind of in, not invented, but really popularized the power chord for which right. they end up being revered by bands in the 70s and 80s. Um, but behind that is Ray Davies and Dave Davies to a lesser extent, but Ray Davies, who's the primary singer and songwriter for the Kinks, who has a lot of interests outside of that kind of music and very quickly progresses into all kinds of different kind of, of music writing. Like he gets into music hall and country and folk and all kinds of stuff mm. that he brings into these albums and so they're they're kind of their classic and in classic kinks fashion it sold like nothing is yeah. the album the kinks or the village village green preservation society um which is now i got into it a couple of years ago that is like i think it's on an honest to god classic and it's just this little it's like it's like maybe a half an hour 35 minutes and it's kind of a song cycle it's not quite a concept album but it's a lot of Ray Davies songs about living in the, in England and like the yeah. nostalgic life. It's a very British album, right? Very. It's, it's very British. That's how people often describe the kinks in general. It's like, they're extremely British. The next album after that is called Arthur or the decline of the, of the British right. empire or something like that. 
also excellent. Um, and so I've started to dive into kind of rounding off that era. So the album, something else by the kinks, which came out in 1967 and then also albums like Lola, um, mm-hmm. versus the power man and the money go round is the name of that album. Insane wow. title. And uh, Muswell Hillbillies, which came out after that, which is like a little more in the kind of roots rock country vibe. Um, All have some really interesting things going on. And I think the thing with the kinks and why it's so hard to even be interested in getting into them is that it's like it it's hard to know what the fuck they are, because there is such a powerful public relations almost push for the Beatles or for the stones or for most of some of those bands who like, they really had their shit together. It feels like the kinks. It was just like, it was never clear how to define them because they move from something else by the kinks in 67, which has songs like um, David Watts, which I think sounds like proto bell and Sebastian almost. Mm. And like songs like um, death of a clown, which is like this really interesting kind of tender, like ballad slash country song. It's really, it's really interesting. Wow. And then you get to, you start getting into Arthur and village green and you see that like Ray Davies is very inspired by music hall. And like the, and then by the seventies, yeah. they went full on like the album in the albums are like not supposed to be good. I have not touched them, but like their mid seven yeah. output is them flat out, like playing theatrical, like music hall style music. And like, they're supposed to be like wow. borderline unlistenable records. Oh my God. But wow. So anyways, all this to say that the, the 1967 through like 71 era of the kinks is actually like really interesting, fertile ground for people who have an interest in like that era of music at all, but also like want to find a little hidden gem that they've never heard before. Cause there's so many of these songs I never had any context for that are like really cool. So that's, that's my, pitch. I, I have always, heard that about these albums um i've always heard their classics i have never taken the time i will do it someday again 2020 this is not that have the energy right now but i'm going to listen to them at some point um so i'm glad i'm glad there's fertile ground to be tilled there jake there is i would just say to anybody who who is interested in doing it which is fucking no one but anyone who is (laughs) Start with Village Green and Arthur. Those are the two to start with, I think, in my book. Okay, that's good to know. Um, so let's wrap up, Jake. Little uh, release radar for September 18th. The only one that I saw of note here, and I thought, I thought we were going to get like the fall deluge of new albums, but that might be coming next week. Um, the one I'm seeing here is Into It, Over It, uh, new album called Figure. Um, I know this is tops on your list, Jake, especially after we uh, we saw that show in Boston where um, <laughs> I, I don't know. He made fun of like jocks, I guess, for having yeah, kids. He I just, don't know. He just made some really on the nose, obvious music guy joke about like yeah. all the jocks out there who bullied me in high school, this and that, whatever. Like I, I don't even care about that. I have to get to the source of maybe I'll bring this up in therapy. What? what <laughs> What is the source of my antipathy towards Into It Over It? Because it's it's really <laughs> I think there's something deep seated there. It's it's exceedingly high. Like for a person who I think you would probably say like there's not very many artists or bands that I hold any ill will toward. No, like none. Yeah. Why do I with Into It Over I It? What the hell's the deal? I gotta figure it out. 
<laughs> I don't know, man. It is something to unpack in therapy. Uh, but yeah, that's the only one we had here. Kind of underwhelming in terms of release radar. I know we do have some other ones coming up later this month, so I'm sure there'll be more to talk about. In terms of schedule, I mean, hey, let's play it by year, man. We don't know yeah. where we're going to be week to week. Um, but we'll we'll let it come to us. We'll let the game come to us. That's right. As, that's the only way to do it. come out, we want to talk about and. Obviously, we'll be around for end of the year list uh, recap of our favorite stuff that came out this year. I can't believe that we're we're almost we're almost at the end of the year. It's almost December. We're in the, we're in the we're in the second half of September already, which is pretty nuts. Man, absolutely yeah. crazy. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Stick around for the after show pre show for uh, some fun, some hijinks, um, and we will see you guys next time. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Okay, we're recording. We're on the mic. Wow, we're back. It's been a couple months. It, yeah, I think it has been almost two Literally. months. I think it's seven yeah. weeks off. We we didn't do the podcast. Yeah, you know, I think that was needed. And I want to mention this when we start the show, but just sort of like I have not had the energy to think about music in the way that I normally would, or to even listen to it in the way that I normally would. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. The state of the world busier at work um i just have not had the energy and i think that has carried over to the podcast where it's like all right well part of doing this podcast is i need to have the energy to listen to music on top of that i need to have the energy to have at least some kind of critical thought about it um and then i need to have the energy to actually go and talk about it and do the podcast and all three of those things have been lacking for me at least so it Same was in on top of all that, the summer always kind of slows down in terms of music, I think, and it's it's a little bit more difficult to do. So I think it was a, a helpful break, actually. Oh, I felt the same. Yeah. I mean, same here. It, like I um, there, were, I just had no interest most weeks in listening to anything new. It's I, I found a few yeah. albums that found their way in. I'm trying to remember if did we, we did talk about, I keep wanting to call them Dive, Dead. We talked about dead. that last time, right? That's one of the last things we, we did. talked about. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, we did. And and I do. I, I have enjoyed that album. But yeah, it has. It's been harder. Like, I've been listening to the same amount of stuff, but I haven't um, latched onto as much, I guess. I get. I think that's it. Like, I, I, I'm just like, eh. Like, yeah, I listen to that. And it could even be pretty good. But my desire to go back and listen has been diminished. I wonder if part of that's getting older too. Absolutely it is. And it's also like, I like, okay, am I really going to go through the paces of forming a connection with this fucking album? Like, no, probably not. No, probably like, not. For, for a lot of albums where it's just, I, I, I usually can kind of feel if it's going to happen or not now in three listens Agreed. or less. Sometimes on the first. Yeah. A lot of times on the first now, actually, yeah. um, which I hate to say, but. Well, yeah. it's like you got to know. Think we're better music listeners now, too. To be honest, not to toot our own horn, but you got to know whether this, the little seed of interest is there. Usually, you can tell. It's like it'll be in a couple tracks, but this is all yeah. stuff for the podcast. Let's, let's talk about this is pre-show. It is, it is. It is. Yes. Yes. I because I I want to revisit um, that pre-show post-show.
can we can we kick this off generally just by saying the world is bad everything yeah. is bad that sums it up it's like you do you need no more verbose kind of way of putting it it just is like we all see the headlines every single day um we all see the bad shit that's going on honestly pick pick your poison literally and and we could do an entire pre-show after show about it i don't think it's fun to rehash all this stuff in a serious way i want to pick out something that i thought of today though where i was on a call at work and i i had just spent the morning like I do most mornings I wake up I go downstairs I make a pot of coffee um I sit on my phone and I refresh Twitter and I read Twitter while the coffee is brewing what time and is it what time is, is it when this is going on usually for you 8 a.m. 8 a.m. Like okay. yeah um I've actually side note I've gotten much 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 better about dragging my ass out of bed in the morning dude my is it interesting how much coffee helps as an incentive for that? Because you look yes. forward to coffee. I'm like, well, you're going to drink coffee at some point. You might as well just go make it now and like have it be there now. And the other thing that I've done is I'm a two alarm guy now. I have one alarm up in my room, which is just my phone, which is right next to my bed. And I set that one for like 745. So it's like the initial like, hey, you're, you're getting up soon but I always snooze it like immediately. I'm like, fuck this. But that plants the seed in my head where it's like, but no, you're waking up soon because my old ass iPad that I got when I was back in college, it's like an eight year old iPad. Now, literally the only thing I use it for is an alarm. I put it down in the living room downstairs and I just let that, I put it on like the alarm alarm sound like the wah, 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 wah. And I put that downstairs because I'm like, okay, this thing's just fucking blaring. If I don't go get it, it's going to be really fucking annoying. So it makes me get up, walk down the stairs, go turn the alarm off. And by that time, I'm like, well, the coffee maker's right there. Just put your fucking coffee on. And then by that time, I'm like, you're up, you're good, you're awake. Like, and, and so that, that's kind of the system I've settled into. Because before, I was like, nope, I don't want to get out of bed. Well, the thing is, too, I don't know if this happens to you, but like, so I'm a multi-alarm person, too, but it's all on my phone. Yep next to my bed and there are times where i go back to sleep and i sit in alarm for like 15 15 more minutes i'm like ah, just 15 more yep. and then right i wake up and i'm like fuck it's been, it's definitely been like 13 or 14 minutes like i could just feel it and i'll yeah, look I know. and notice that i'm a minute before the alarm's gonna go off and then i mad scramble to not let it go off yes me too me too I've done that too many times when I'm like, oh, oh, you woke up before it? Like, turn that shit off. So it you know doesn't funny? Like, jar you. You know what's funny? I've it's never gone off. I always have caught it in time. Good for you. Which wow. seems I, which seems unlikely. That seems incredibly unlikely. I've, there's never been a time where it's like got me. Which huh. I'm only realizing now well, is crazy. But you had another story. You know what's gonna you. happen? You know what's gonna happen tomorrow, Jake. I hope so, just so I know this is not a simulation. Yeah. Seriously. But, yeah, getting back to just, like, the world is bad in my morning routine. So every single morning, I'm waking up, I'm reading headlines about how shitty the world is. Really sets my day off on a great note. But I like to be informed, Jake. So I get on a phone call at work this morning, and everyone's like, oh, hey, how's it going? I'm like, you know, hanging in there, doing all right. 
And I made this joke and I, I decided to do, I was like, yeah, I have this great habit of waking up every morning, reading Twitter, reading the headlines, and then, you know, feeling awful. So I'm doing great right now. Yes. And everyone's like, oh, you, oh, Twitter. Oh no, I don't even look at the news. And I was like, you know what? Probably for your own mental health, that's great. But you are also putting your head in the sand about like genocide being perpetrated by our government. And you're just like, oh, I'm going out to eat. And it's like, <laughs> all right, great. Like, cool. There's also a pandemic going on, by the way. And like, you're posting fucking pictures on Instagram of you out like to eat on the seacoast. And it's like, <laughs> okay, like, cool. It's like, do you even have an understanding of like the atrocities being committed right now? Or like, you just don't care. You're like, oh, oh, I don't even read that stuff. It's like, well, maybe you should. Yeah, yeah. Like it's we're we're on the slow slide toward authoritarianism and fascism. Yes. So Yes. A lot of telltale signs happening too. It's like, hey, we just sort of hey, ooh, I'm gonna get a Ben and Jerry's tonight and fucking watch the new Netflix documentary series that's mediocre. It's like okay. <laughs> okay, yeah. all right. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, I, I think I think there's an inherent selfishness, and I'm guilty of this too. I'm very guilty of this. I think there's an inherent selfishness that comes with being an American that you're like, I'm the main character and I deserve all the comforts that I can get. And if I can't get them, fuck everyone else because yeah. I deserve it. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and there's this willful ignorance or this willful just, I'm going to stick my head in the sand and, and do my thing because I have the privilege to do that. That, you look, And I'm not even doing anything about this stuff that I'm reading. I'm just reading it and being angry and upset. But I don't know. I think there's a responsibility to be aware of this stuff at the very least. Well, yeah, because there are some people who have that same life of privilege and have never been never had their rights infringed upon so much to the point that even reading about other people having their rights taken away, just feel that that feels like an annoyance that feels like that. That's like their own, right. Like, oh, like, I don't want to deal with that. You got to constantly remind me of this, blah, blah, blah. It's like after 12 yeah. years of slave came, I remember when the movie 12 years of slave came out and people were like, well, that's just a white guilt thing. It's like, uh, yeah, it is. It should. <laughs> fucking be. Are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah. Like yep. the, the the least you can do is feel a little fucking guilt. I don't know. I know. No, I, I, I know. And so that, that, that was just kind of my like, okay, like everything's bad. I'm reminded of it every single day in the morning throughout the day. Cause I compulsively refresh Twitter. Um, and it's probably not good, but Hey, like I, I have a, a, an eyes wide open view of the shit that's going down right now. Um, and where I feel like a lot of people are just like, yep, I'm not going to, I'm not going to engage. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty fucking dark right now. Things are pretty dark and yeah. November is not going to fix everything. The election is not going to fix really much of anything, but it will hopefully no. you hope it changes the disposition of the country, even in one iota to the right for like sense sensibility kind of thing. So certainly not the right, but, a right sensibility yeah. yeah like the correct or decent sensibility <laughs> right um which won't um, happen i'll tell you what else is decent, Jay, Sean. yeah i was gonna say we luckily we can still numb ourselves with entertainment <laughs> yes we can and i have been 
Um, so <laughs> big friend of the pod, Mary Kate has been doing a rewatch of Breaking Bad, um, which I am pleased to inform you all is fucking incredible. Still, I yeah. forgot. So, okay, here's what happened. So she got up to season three. I was not involved in the rewatch. I would see it off and on. Did I lose you? No, I think you're there. Okay. No. no. Um, I was not like an active participant. I would just see scenes here and there. I was like, oh, here's the part where yep. like Skylar does this. Here's the part where Walt does that. She's getting to the end of season three. And I was like, can I actually like just join in for the rest of the ride? Yeah. Because the truth of Breaking Bad is I've never done a rewatch before because as great as seasons one through three are, and they're great, especially two and three, legitimately excellent. Four and five are so much even better than that. Like they're just like literally unimpeachably un like insanely good. Um, yeah. So we've been watching, we're up to season five and fucking Hey dude, the writing on breaking bad, I honestly forgot how good it is and how Mm -hmm. like the scene that was absolutely killing me was when (laughs) Walter and Skylar are reading the script of their like story they're going to tell about like how they like he got into gambling and like why they bought the car wash and like how the family rallied to support them. Like they have a script for their talk to Hank and Marie. Right. And I was, I was like, Oh my God, like this is so brilliant. It's just these writers, like they're doing like this meta thing about writing dialogue. Cause it's all these things where like Walt is reading it and he's like, you have me here saying, that I'm terribly, terribly ashamed of what I've done. Two terribly's? I would never say that. I would never say that. And she's like, Walt, we need them to believe it. And she's like talking about like different lines. She's like, I think this shows contrition, but also a warmth. Like it, I was like, this <laughs> yes. stuff is fucking brilliant. And like, dude, see, okay. So here's the last thing I'll say is season four, obviously is like, I think of season four as like, kind of like a, a true like thriller suspense movie the whole time yeah like literally non-stop like race to that like unbelievable finish with gus at the nursing home no spoilers really there i don't think um season five is i think more brilliant and is like in some ways like a slightly slower burn where it's like it's a tragedy season four is a thriller season five is a tragedy season five is a tragedy it is also where i think they really established what they then eventually do so well on, on better call Saul, which is like with methodical attention to detail, but also like really well stitched together montages and exciting, like musical cues showing process. They do such a good job of showing process and like the stuff behind the scenes that other shows think you can't show because it's boring. They show yes. and they make it. They find a way to make that interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. It's been a while since I've done a rewatch. I think I would probably love it. And um, speaking of rewatches, one that Kara and I, big friend of the pod, fell into pod. lately was a succession rewatch. Hell yeah. we, we watched the first two seasons and we flew through them. We watched both seasons, I think, in less than a week. And we just, we could not get enough of those characters. They're so good. Um, It is such a rich text. There is so much there. If you have not watched this show, I could not recommend it enough. I think it's the best show since those golden age shows of like Mad Men and Breaking Bad and things of of that ilk. 
Um, but I, we, we watched the episode the other day um, where – and you've seen the show, right? You've oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I okay, loved it. Okay. We blew through remember, it. Remember the episode in season two? It's towards the end. Dundee, where they go back to yes. Brian Cox's character's home in Scotland. Yeah. And they're driving by his old house. And he does – it's an amazing marriage of writing and acting where – you're basically getting the backstory of this character where he's just like, what do you want? What do you want? Rosebud? You want, you, you, Rosebud was a fucking dollar bill. And yeah. he's like, it was anything to get out of here. And it was like, wow. and like, he just did this. He's like, you know, when people talk about the old days, it's, they all said it was so fucking simple. He's like, it, it, it really was. And it's like, I'm butchering it, but it's he's an amazing monologue by Brian Cox. Uh, to match an amazing piece of writing in that show i the maybe the biggest disappointment of 2020 on top of all the other shit if we're just talking entertainment wise it's that we were robbed of season three of succession in august september of this year because like it like this time of year like triggered me i was like i want to watch succession like what the fuck like i i i'm actually really missing that show so going back and rewatching it again, I think I've watched that three times now. I, I would say Atlanta and Succession are the two best shows that are still going on TV. And I've watched both of those, I think, three or four times. I, I would like to rewatch Succession because, man, you, you're so right. Like, the cast is so fucking good. All the actors. You will it. notice so many new things on a rewatch where you're like, oh, my God. Like, these characters have so much depth and there's yeah. so much about them that is left unsaid in the script but that they're inferring that they kind of make you do work to like extract about them it is brilliant yeah it is brilliant and and the brian cox's acting performance is really unreal maybe the best in the show other than jeremy strong is up there i think jeremy strong is he's um, kind of method you know that that he kind of like doesn't come out of character I, i i heard that i did hear that about him um he has such a knack in this show of being like kind of an insufferable like corporate douche yeah all the way to like broken human who you feel really really bad for um he just oh, runs the gamut oh, in this show he's all dude we, I, that, that was that same episode dundee did you know the reactions of the actors in that are genuine they didn't know he was going to do that song yes, i think so I when they're that. all like when they're all like clapping and like recording and like these shocked looks on their face those are just their actual shocked looks makes me so uncomfortable goes in with the with kind of the method thing i was listening to kieran culkin yeah. was on mark maron and dude, oh interesting kieran culkin's personality he plays for anyone who doesn't know he plays roman um yeah. the younger brother his personality is like basically exactly what you would think he's like well, he, it seems that way because so he's been in the he's in like a new car commercial it might be like an audi commercial or something i don't even know and he like is Roman Roy in the commercial. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. And it sounds like he, like Kieran Culkin, is also like Roman Roy. The, I had one other thing I was going to say about Breaking Bad and about acting is that um, I, Brian Cranston. This it's been said by everyone everywhere, but it's like it's truly remarkable how good he is in that role. Like it, and it's a cliche to say this, but like you kind of forget it's him. I honestly do a lot of the time. Yeah, so much becomes Walter White. Um, it's that kind of magical thing where it's like, he, it's a cliche, but when it happens, it really happens. One of my favorite Walter White-isms 
is when he's acting like the family man kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like when he's being more like, oh I'm a polite member of society. He has great yes. little dad isms. One yes. of them that is so good is when he meets Brock finally. Yeah. In he's introduced to Brock. He goes, hi, Brock. I'm Walt. And like Brock just kind of stares at him quietly like a little kid who's shy. And he goes, oh, man, a few words. Which is like such a... <laughs> <laughs> such a perfect like little dad quip that like it, it simultaneously yes. means fucking nothing but is also very clever yes you know yes. What I'm yeah ah, that's great i you're making me want to maybe go back and do Ooh, a rewatch of that dude, it's we're, we're between tv shows right now we were just talking i was like we just finished succession the next two that i think are on our list it's a toss-up between the sopranos and twin peaks Ooh. and i was like if you know what? And I think there's actually some similarities between the Sopranos and succession in that it's about like this extended family who are all jockeying for power in their own ways. But also the shows, both of those shows are hilarious. Have yeah. you been seeing any of the Sopranos, no context, like screen caps on Twitter? <laughs> they're everywhere. Everyone's been sharing them, liking them. Yeah. They're really funny. Dude, some of them are so fucking funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're so really I'm good. I'm excited to like go and like see those again because that show is is hilarious. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd like to rewatch Sopranos. So there's too much. There's literally too much, and like I get choice paralysis. And if it weren't for Breaking Bad being thrust upon me again, like I wouldn't have chosen to do it. But it's it's unbelievable. It's so good to get pulled back into it. Yeah. Um, in terms of other things being good, Jake, I. Uh, um, <laughs> I treated myself to the uh, the Travis Scott meal at McDonald's. This was a, uh, a real interesting weekend. development. This was, yeah. As, as a true Travis Scott Cactus Jack fan, I had to go and get the new meal. Most of that was influenced by the amount of NBA basketball I've been watching in the commercials that are constantly beating me over the head to go and eat fast food, to buy fucking cars, and to buy insurance. Beer, um, probably. So I, yeah, beer too, dude. Yes, the other one, you know that Modelo commercial? Yeah. Like, Andres Rodriguez is a chef who doesn't know what it means to quit. And there's like this commercial where like they're all cheersing, but they all just put their beer down and no one drinks it <laughs> after they cheers. It annoys <laughs> the fuck out of me. And I pointed that to care of many times. It's clearly just such a TV shot where everyone's cheersing, but like everyone just puts their beer down. I'm like, who does this? I hadn't <laughs> noticed it. It's so good. But it made me want to go dr drink Modelo. And before game seven this weekend, Toronto, Boston, I, uh, I went out and got some Modelo tall boys. And I, that's what I was drinking that night. When oh, we were hell all yeah. Hell yeah. Just kind of freaking out about the game. But so they made me go buy Modelo. They made me go get the Cactus Jack meal at McDonald's. So I went there. It is a quarter pounder with cheese, lettuce, uh, uh onion ketchup mustard and bacon actually oh. it's a little travis twist then you get a medium fry medium drink he likes sprite jake so you're getting a sprite sorry can't have a coke so i got a sprite i switched things up got a sprite medium fry comes with barbecue sauce as well for dipping um excellent tastes amazing because Good. it's like engineered to taste great I immediately wanted to take a nap after and course, was like, even though I had just consumed like over a thousand calories, I was hungry. It left me feeling empty and hungry again within like two hours. And I just felt kind of off the rest of the night. That's um, the classic McDonald's but, vibe. 
tasted amazing. Tasted amazing. And McDonald's is, I think today, they just released spicy McNuggets, Jake. Oh, okay. So Damn, this is what the, um, you know, I, 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 I did no meat for about a year. And then this pandemic broke me. And now I'm just like, ooh, fast food's a thing. It, it, it's a good thing too. It, it, well, I mean, it's a bad thing for society, but it's a, it is delicious and hard to, yes. uh, hard to avoid. I mean, honestly, the, it, it is an appealing marketing, the cactus Jack meal. Dude, it is, it is. I don't know why they don't do that more where it's just like, Oh, it's the fucking, you know, insert celebrity here meal. Like why not? Cause it fucking works. It works. Yeah. Like, yeah, I guess they've gotten like a pretty substantial sales bump this month from it. So, it's, shout it's out like, Travis. And it's like, honestly, it? the bacon thing is something that I don't think McDonald's has done a lot of, really. Like, no. I can't think of no. another. That's kind of Wendy's corner with like yeah. the Baconator and shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, bacon... no, they're not. And like, look, their bacon kind of sucks. Like, it's, of course it does. You know, it's not good, but no. Um... That used to be my order at Wendy's. I used to do the. Not the Baconator, which I was really actually pissed when they introduced it because I was a weird kid who liked like kind of like the more like I'll, I'll paint a picture like I would get the burger where it was like I liked the lettuce, tomato, onion, pickle, ketchup, mustard with the cheeseburger and two slices of bacon like your classic bacon cheeseburger yeah is what bacon I like cheeseburger yep. And yep. then when they were, they replaced it, it was the number four and they replaced it with the fucking Baconator, which was this bastardization oh. of it. Which was just bacon and I meat. Didn't, I, that happened pretty, like, we were pretty young when they made that switch. I remember when the bacon era came out, we were probably only, like, what, like, 14? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We were, like, in high school or middle school. And yeah. they made that swap. And I remember being, like, pretty upset because my favorite meal was gone. My favorite just, like, classic bacon cheeseburger. I um I have a lot of fond memories of going to Wendy's with my dad and my my sisters when we were kids because my mom used to have to work on some weekends so my dad was just like we're going to Wendy's dude <laughs> I was like awesome that was that was the best I would go to Wendy's with my dad too I liked eating yeah. at Wendy's I did too it's, I did it, too more so than any other fast food place and there's certain fast food places where I'm like. This is a drive-through only place. Like for me, honestly, McDonald's is pretty much just a drive-through place. Yeah. Wendy's to me has always sort of been like, you go in and you fucking eat at Wendy's. Same here, dude. Yeah, same here. And they yeah. play that kind of tasteful jazz music. <laughs> jazz music. I you're like, hell yeah, dude. I'm not here. anymore. They don't anymore. Uh, they well, used well, to. I haven't been in a Wendy's in forever, but That's I don't sad. think they do that anymore. It's yeah. a bummer. The, 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 there was a certain appeal to that where they had like they, they had that like old carpet that looked like it had always been the carpet same. Carpet too. And like the yeah. kind of like the tasteful metal fence instead of the cute like you know what yes, I'm talking about? Dude, the metal cue was like, I don't know why, but I have like an emotional attachment to that metal Wendy's cue. Me too. I, oh, I loved Wendy's, dude. I loved it. It was to me and like me people, I've, I found people don't agree. It by far my favorite of the three major ones we grew up with in Manchester. Easily. Me too. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. There were items I liked at all of them. Like I liked the Big Mac. I liked the Whopper. Right. Um, and I, it, McDonald's was second for me. Burger King was always kind of a remote third, but that I liked. Yes. Yes. Um, I had little runs with all of them. Like when I was a younger kid and I was going with my parents a lot, it was a Wendy's thing. Once I got to um, high school, 
it turned into Burger King with Matt. We would go all the time because it was by his house. We were always hanging out at his house. It was Burger King for a couple of years, like junior, senior year. Then like senior year into the first couple of years of college, it turned into McDonald's because we were working at Cinemagic. Cinemagic. We would go on our breaks. We'd rush over. We'd get a McChicken. I would always then, get two um, McChickens, dude. Oh, yeah. Both. Oh, yeah, yeah. You'd get a McChicken. You'd get like a, like a hamburger and you'd get like a small fry and you'd spend like four bucks. Yeah. which was like half of your hour's wage. <laughs> um, actually, it was more. More than half. <laughs> it was yeah. like your full hour's wage. Crazy. Um, just to sustain yourself on this fast food. And then, but also, because I went to SNU right there, I, um, whenever I would like leave campus, I'd be like, ooh, can I, can I pop into the drive-thru real quick? And, or if I happen to be like, you know, uh, in need of a quick meal, I would be like, eh, mcdonald's it's cheap i'm a broke college kid you know you you gotta get it and that's how they do it economies of scale sean exactly there's so there's fast food eras for me um but yeah a lot of it's nostalgic um the other thing jake that i mentioned the nba so nba's back nba playoffs have been excellent yeah Um, there's been lots of twists and turns our team the celtics are we're in the eastern conference finals right now and uh, what do you think? We, we, I, I, I called first round that we're going to the finals. I hope I am not proven otherwise, but I'm riding with this team until, until they're eliminated. I think we're going to the finals. I really it's, do. It's hard to say. I mean, the, like, so watching, I, I didn't catch all of the game last night, but I watched the end of the fourth and overtime. And it's, so they're down one nothing for the time capsule that is this podcast to the, the Miami yeah. Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. Game two is tomorrow, I think, right? Yes. Um, and so my first reaction is that I think the Heat are, like, kind of a scrappier team, it seems, than They're the tougher. Celtics. Yeah, it's they are. a little are. tougher. Jimmy Butler seems unfazed by anything. Yeah. I think what, what has Jimmy to Jimmy Butler has the biggest balls in the series, for sure. He doesn't give a fuck. What has to happen is this ascendancy that we've seen out of Tatum through the Toronto series – has to continue and has to actually go to yet another little sub-level. Like, he has to go up even another step. Um, and – because he's been really great. Um, I saw this yeah. graphic today that Rosillo posted that was like um, – it was like an axis of points added versus points defended. And Tatum was right in there near Anthony Davis and some of the and best Kawhi. players. Kawhi. I mean, Kawhi was first, but like – he was right there with Anthony Davis. Yeah, I saw And, like, some too. of the and best yeah, players he, in the league. He's been our best player by far. We need – I think if we're going to win, we need Kemba to step up. We need Jalen Brown to step up. Kemba has – you know, he's hit some big shots late, but he hasn't been able to to assert himself during the rest of these games. Kemba is one of those dudes where he's he's a – you know, such – he's a small guard where it's just like – I think when it gets to crunch time, it's just harder for him to get his shot. It's harder. The it shot the sh- he's working hard to get even a little separation. You can tell the shot he can get is that like pretty nasty little like 10, step 15 back. foot step back he has on the elbow. That's he, his shot. Yeah. He can get open for that because he can just he can just like shake anybody on it because he has a yep. really he's really a very solid handle. You know what I like about Kemba? Oh is yeah. Kemba does not have an especially showy handle, but he's got a very solid, reliable handle. Like you, I'm not worried about the ball when Kemba has it. I frankly am a little bit when Tatum has it because he or Jalen bad tendency. They both have a bad tendency to flat out lose it on a drive. I know, and Tatum's gotten better with that. But I I agree. I'm still I get a little nervous, and sometimes he'll like 
he will. He'll just lose the ball. Um, but I fucking love playoff basketball. I think it's hilarious that the Clippers lost fucking playoff P and uh, uh, getting getting knocked out. Although I do love Kawhi, and I would have loved to have seen L.A. versus L.A., Kawhi versus LeBron in the bubble. That would have been amazing. But this Denver team's really fun. So we'll see what happens there. I do. I think the Lakers are going to the finals, and I think they'll win. Honestly, even if they play the Celtics, I think they'll win. Um, but True. still. Yeah, it'd be it'd be nice if there was a little surprise. I was just thinking about can you imagine and it's now possible the finals could be either Lakers Celtics or yeah. there's another possible which is just classic. That's classic Coke to quote Mary. Quote fucking yeah, Walter yeah. White. Yeah. Um or you could have you could have Nuggets Heat could be the finals. Imagine that. Fucking Shasta Cola there. Right. <laughs> or obviously it could be Celtics Nuggets, it could be Lakers Heat, but like Right. That's pretty crazy to me. In I, fact, I wonder which one the NBA is rooting for from a ratings perspective. Well, I well, okay. That's what I was gonna say is that I love it when you see teams like the Nuggets win this series because it's like, yeah, everyone's rooting yeah. for Clippers Lakers. So it's nice to know that like this actually can happen. Like maybe it isn't as rigged as sometimes people play it up to be. No, yeah, no, it, it's not. The people who are going to fucking rigged. It's like honestly, so much has to go right for that to even be a thing like no one's doing that that's way too hard it honestly is um the other thing nfl's back jake football's family football is safe football is good what do we think no fans tom brady is a buck cam newton as a pat everything's topsy-turvy i don't know what to think anymore i honestly started to feel bad for brady when his team was losing he threw a couple picks a bad pick six and i think he's like oh shit I'm playing for an undisciplined Buccaneers team. I'm 43. What did I get myself into? Yeah, he didn't look great. Um, and meanwhile, Cam looked steady and in control, and like they have, a, yeah. a, they're going to have a solid little offense. I think this is what I found about football. Football is in some ways morally reprehensible, especially the NFL. Yeah. Yes. But what I know of myself is like I like basketball better. I like yep. NBA better. I like the players in the NBA better. I like the product better, honestly. But the NFL is just like pure comfort food. It's just like it, it is very yeah. like it's like, okay, it's fall. It's a Sunday. Yep. I'm, you and I are both very routine-oriented people, and the routine yeah. of football is very, very like I, I can't shake it. I cannot shake it at this point, even though I can understand all those things about what's wrong with football. And even, I think the product has suffered a A lot. lot. Like, dude, honestly, some of these games are not fun to watch. Like they're boring. And like, I actually think on the whole basketball, I'll take an average basketball game over an average football game any day. I know a lot of people disagree, whatever, but football is objectively worse quality wise now than it was 10 years ago. Um, and I don't know, I was watching some of these games and I was like, Ugh. like I, I just kind of, I put it on in the background. Now I'm not like locked in. I check in on the Sunday and Monday night games now. And unless it's like a true, true marquee matchup or like my team is playing, I'm really not going to watch unless it's like close late. Um, so I'll check in now where before I was like, yeah, I'm watching these games. Um, but I will say the routine, the fall atmosphere, it's just, dude, that's a fucking neural pathway, super highway in my brain now. Yes, that's what I'm like, saying. Once it's fall, 
you are going to watch football and you're going to get some nostalgic feeling out of it. I will say fantasy football this year where you, Hey, shout out to you for wrangling us all together and getting this league together. Cause I think it's actually fun. I'm glad we're doing it. I've gotten past some of my baggage with fantasy football where I was like, ah, I don't want to do that anymore. And I'm just like, I don't even care. It's just fun to like be doing it. So I'm glad we're back to fantasy. Yeah, it, it has been, it's been nice to, to do that because for, for the listeners, for context, we, for years and years, would always be in a league together, Sean and I, and then a bunch of our friends. And then over time, like somehow or other, as fantasy leagues go, like one person loses interest and decides to not be in the league anymore. Someone's like, I'm in too many this year anyways, and then the league fell off. And so yep. this year I was like, I want to play with like my best friends. That's what's fun about fantasy. Yeah. Um, yep. and so we, yeah, we got to lead together. What's been really fun is my, my brother has been, has joined and he has a team and, um, he is not like a sports guy. Like he kind of, you know, I mean, like he likes sports, but he's not way into it. So like, it's been fun to kind of explain stuff to him in some way, like try to like help guide him. Like he would guide me through like Dungeons and Dragons or something. Right. Where like, right. so what I, I did was like today, like I'll send him little texts to be like, Hey, reminder, like there's games on Thursday. It might be a good time to check your bench and see if there's anyone you can swap in for like a better matchup or like if you might want to pick somebody up. And like I did the, I sent him like a picture today of all the scores in the league and all the points for and points against we have. And I was like, here's a fantasy football silver lining. I was like, you may have lost last week. I was like, but you actually had the third highest point total in the league and you only lost because you were unlucky enough to play the person who had the second highest. So I was like, your, your team still played well better than almost anyone in the league it's just yeah it's just a matter of luck he he played matt and matt what yeah Matt's team went off and i was just like this is kind of just off. like the 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 uh double-edged sword of fantasy it's like you can't yeah, really exactly. as good as your team plays it's like you can't predict how that's gonna go great point it's a great point um yeah it can be a fickle fickle thing but i'm glad we're doing it i'm glad we're back in i'm playing josh this week big friend of the pod um, i'm playing bill Nice. I be I defeated him last week. I did defeat Bill. The um, fire trucks. The fire trucks. I yeah. love his team names are so good. <laughs> I doubt. Um, awesome. Well, what do you think, Jake? You want to dive in? Yeah, let's do it. I'm good. All righty. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Three, two, one.